All right, let's meet together in Isaiah 54. And I haven't asked you to bounce around much in, our, in the messages so far, but we'll also, I'll also ask you to get this morning 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Corinthians 9, and Matthew 19. <laughs> and, and, and we'll get to those other passages momentarily. Church, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to be with you to share this time and this conference. I am so thankful for what the Lord is doing here at Bible Baptist Church, Potch, and for the good spirit of this place and for your love and care for missionaries and your zeal for getting the gospel around the world. It is a blessing. In Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 2, this is, this is the theme verse. And uh, even as God has worked in your pastor's heart about this passage, he's also worked in my heart. And so uh, we'll start from this place, springboard. We'll come back to this place. If, you'll, if you want to mark this, we'll come back to it a bit later in the, in the message. But uh, there's, you've already seen just a week ago from this text, missions all through here. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you please, O oh God, meet with us now in the preaching of the word. I pray that you'd manifest your word now through preaching, that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would stir us about this need of worldwide missions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If we're going to be a part of stretching forth this gospel tent, as was previously preached to you, we're going to need to lengthen our cords, it says in this passage. And we're going to need to strengthen our stakes. And, and uh, how I've applied this uh, in, in, in missions devotionally for this short series that I'm trying to share with you I'm, I'm suggesting that, or, or at least my objective in our time together has been to take the hammer of God's Word. This Word is like a hammer, Jeremiah said. And, and I, and I want to come to, the, to, to, to these tent pegs, these stakes, and, and reinforce those in the soil of our hearts in the way of, of reinforcing some biblical motives for missions. And actually, this is the outline is very simple. The, the, the truths are very basic. So on Friday night, we looked at two corners of this tent, and we tried to hammer down two of these tent stakes of biblical motives for missions, one of those being a compassion for sinners, realizing the hopeless plight of humanity apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only a compassion for sinners, but an obedience to the command of Christ. We are like an army, and we have our marching orders. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We should go and do it. Amen. And this morning, I want to take you to a third corner of this gospel tent. And I want to talk to you a bit today about the promise of reward. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm always encouraged when, when, I, I, when I pick up on other themes for, from other preachers in the same meeting that are uncoordinated. But this came out repeatedly in Brother Dobbin's lesson this morning, and that, that encourages my heart. I think the Holy Spirit has something assuredly to say to us today about this matter of a promise for reward. And, and look, I'll be, I, I think that what, 
What, what we might be tempted to think when we hear such a thing is, oh, that's, I don't need any reward for serving Jesus, you know, it's just, but, but let's, let's, not, let's not try to be pious, okay, let's try to be biblical, Let's, let's think in biblical terms. This is all we have. We've got the Bible. It's sufficient. And the Word of God is the thing that strengthens our stakes. And the Word of God is the thing that establishes our biblical motives for missions. Uh, look, you may say today, I love my job. But it is, it is nice. And it does help to encourage you to continue to discharge your duties day in and day out. That there will be some compensation at the end of the pay period. Amen. Some of you would not do the job that you love if you didn't get rewarded for it. Okay. So we've got a job to do. And what I want to remind you of today is that it is worth doing. And God's going to make sure that it's worth doing. Who, who said this? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I think that was Jesus. Who said this? Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. That's the promise of our Savior. We're told in the book of Colossians, Paul tried to encourage the believers at Colossae, telling them that they could know that they would receive of the Lord the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. The Bible says in the second epistle of John in verse 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. This is a biblical concept. God has promised His people rewards for faithful service. And assuredly this is true in the work of worldwide missions, of preaching the gospel. It's put this way in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forgive. Get your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name. God rewards his people. There's no way around it scripturally. Now, now there may be any number of ways that we might seek to characterize or quantify the rewards that are associated with this work of gospel preaching and worldwide missions. But I want to begin here. I want to begin here and then, and then bear with me. I want to try to, I want you to think with me. You know, that's what, that's what preaching is really about. Is, is, is I, I want you to try to think some thoughts because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. That's why we have to have His Word. And that's the role of the preacher is to take God's Word and help us together to think the thoughts of God that we would never, never otherwise think. I think that some of the rewards of, of being a part of worldwide missions and gospel preaching and being witnesses unto Christ and ambassadors for Christ and carrying out the ministry of reconciliation, I think that many of those rewards are inherent in the process. 
And this is, this is what I mean by that. Just taking the tent illustration for just a moment. Let's say that you're, that you're stretching forth a tent and maybe you're, you're really stretching those curtains and you're really enlarging that place and it's bigger than it's ever been before and you lengthen those, you stretch those curtains and you lengthen those cords and you strengthen those stakes and then you set, you step back and you look at, you look at what you've worked on and you say, you know what? That's what it's supposed to look like. That's rewarding. To, to, have done, to have done well, that's rewarding. But then you don't only look at a job well done and, and have the joy of having accomplished something, of having completed something. Then you step under the shade of that tent from the sun above your head and you enjoy the shelter from the rain. All of these things come just in the course of stretching forth the curtains of this gospel tent. I asked you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We could put it in this way. This is how Paul described his reward in gospel preaching. Paul's a missionary, by the way. And and these converts to whom whom he's writing at Thessalonica, these are his converts in the course of his missionary work. And he said this in chapter 2, in verses 19 and 20, he says, for what is our hope or joy Or crown of rejoicing. That's a reward. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. Brother Dobbins told you the story of winning a soul when he was just 17. And the effect that that had upon his his heart and upon his emotions. and, and, And have you ever enjoyed that? Have you ever experienced that? When God allows you to take a sinner by the hand and walk with them from darkness to light, there's nothing like it in this world. And, 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 and when you see that happen, when you're present for the, for the birth of a child of God, you don't walk away thinking, well, that's, a, that's, another, that's another notch on the belt, that's another crown in it. No, you're walking away saying, that was so worth it. Look, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here, here, it's, here Paul, Paul handles it in, in, in a rather surprising way. And uses this terminology, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you would, in verse 16. This was the message Friday, the woe of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, the apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. He, he had confidence that if he did it with his heart, he would have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. He, listen, if he didn't want to do it, he still had to do it. Okay, there's no way out of this business of missions. But notice what he says in verse 17. He said, or verse 18, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. What I'm saying is it is it is its own reward to faithfully serve Christ and to have the confidence that you've done the right thing for the right reason. It's rewarding to serve Christ and know that you 
haven't wasted your life. To know that you've done something that matters. To know that you haven't messed it up. That's rewarding. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now we could, we could easily illustrate this from the corresponding passages in Mark 10 and Luke 18. But I'd have you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. And, and Matthew chapter 19, the context, we're going to read verses 27 through 30. But, but the Lord has just, he's just said some things about how difficult it is. How hardly it is that they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said it's easier for a, for a camel to go through the eye of, the, of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 19. And the disciples are taken aback by that. They say, who then can be saved? And the Lord explains. Now, now with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But the context I'm trying to point out is, is the Lord is pointing to these people that loved earthly things. Pointing to, to men and women with riches that, that rob them of, of, what, of, of assessing what is truly valuable in this life and beyond. That's the context. And, and, and listen, I can, I can tell you, one, one thing, one thing that... Now, now it's, a, it's, a, it's a simultaneously a blessing and a curse. Brother Dobbins could tell you the same thing. We've got poverty all around us. All around us in Zimbabwe. But those people will stop and listen to the gospel. They're not too proud. Amen. And then on the heels of this, Peter has a question. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there are many questions that are not sincere questions. Okay? Anytime that Jesus fielded an insincere question, he answered the question with a question. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in Scripture. And by the way, that's, a very, that's a, actually a very wise way to process questions. But in this case, Peter asks a direct question. Verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. This is in comparison to those rich people. They're no longer rich, and they're not rich, and they don't have the capacity for wealth because they have followed the Lord in His mission, starting with the lost sheep of the house of Israel and eventually going out to the nations. You realize Peter left behind a business to do God's work. And so this is the question. He says, what shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, how dare you ask such a stupid question, Peter? You ought to know better. It's just what? No, 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 no. No, if, if, I believe that it's, that it's right and appropriate and good that the Lord should move your heart to lay up treasures today in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. There is a reward to look forward to and it's not all here and now. So Jesus says to them, 
Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, I believe that means exactly what it says someday. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to be seated in Jerusalem on the throne of David. And he's going to rule the nations of this world with a rod of iron. And David himself is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem and he's going to be a shepherd over Israel and under David there are going to be 12 thrones and those 12 thrones are going to rule over the 12 tribes of the house of Israel and seated upon those thrones are these 12 apostles but why did they get the thrones? Because they gave something up to serve Jesus Christ. They didn't get their throne in this life. Their rewards were not measurable in the short term. But Jesus says to them in verse 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold. And shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Now I'm not trying to exposit the passage. This is my point. I believe that it's going to be. Here's how I want to frame this thing about rewards. The promise of reward. Inherent to missions. to, To this work of missions is sacrifice. There's no way to get around it. Now the the sacrifices of. Are of different degree. We've mentioned some people in the course of this meeting and the message a week ago that literally gave everything. Just before, just before the, the, the night before I flew out of Harare to, to Johannesburg, my wife is, is reading the missionary story of John Williams to, to our younger children. John Williams' story ends on a beach where he's clubbed to death and eaten. Is it? Was his mission worthwhile that his wife should be widowed, that his children should be left fatherless for his name's sake? Was it worthwhile for John Williams? Well, it'll take a little while, but I can assure you on the promise, on the basis of the promise of Christ, that it was worth it. And not just for the cause, but for John Williams. And the same is true for you. Now, 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 by comparison to some, the sacrifices may be very minor. I lost my, I lost my grandfather earlier this year. I was close to him. I wasn't there to put my arms around my grandmother. I didn't get to attend the things following his death. It's a sacrifice. It's a small sacrifice. In June... Uh, my, my, we, we, we had our very first grandchild, a, a beautiful baby girl named Catherine. My wife has not held her grandbaby yet, nor have I. It's a small sacrifice in the scheme of things, but it's a sacrifice. I've got to know and be assured that it is a worthwhile sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. And God is calling upon you, some of you to give something up. In some cases, it's financial. Okay? In some cases, it's financial. And I am headed there with good conscience. 
Because many of you have this world's good. And of course there's the trade-off of opportunity cost. Because if you invest something financially, monetarily, in the work of worldwide missions, then that will mean less that you can get to invest in something temporal. Something material. That'll mean something that you didn't get to buy. Some place that you didn't get to visit. Some investment that you didn't get to build on. But is it worthwhile? And if the, if the promise of Christ is to be understood and believed, it is worthwhile. There is no sacrifice that you and I could make for the sake of the gospel that Jesus Christ will not make worth it in the end. There is the promise, a reward. Moses chose the reproach of Christ over the treasures in Egypt because he had the faith that it would be worth it. That there was the recompense of the reward. And some of those rewards are immediate. They're inherent to the process. And some of those rewards await the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's come back together to uh, Isaiah chapter 54 and let's, let's hasten to Isaiah 54 and Philippians 4. And I believe that's all the, the turning I'll ask you to do for the balance of the message. And let me hasten to make, if I can, the, the primary application or continued application. In Isaiah chapter 54, what we read a moment ago in verse 2, enlarge the place of thy tent. Now this is very curious terminology. And let them... Stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Isn't that curious, the way that that is worded? Let them. And, and in, in, the, in, the, in the way that the thing is phrased, it's rather, it's a bit ambiguous. And so we're not going to rest the scriptures here, but we're going to take some liberty in applying the text to the work of worldwide missions. And you do, you do this with a text in light of other texts that are in support of the, of the manner in which we handle this text. But it sure looks like here we have a habitation. Bible Baptist Church of Potch has a habitation and, and we've been seeing this on, on a loop. We've been seeing this, these slides with these flags all over the world and the pictures of these families. And, and I'm going to say, that's the them. Because somebody in this passage is designated by the larger company of believers that, that have this habitation and there's a them that is stretching out the curtains of that gospel tent and yet as the curtains spread out, we get to enjoy a greater reach of our habitation. It's all the same habitation even though there are some that are going in our stead. So, so uh, Pastor illustrated this beautifully last week, uh, talking about the structure and how it stretches out. And he illustrated this from the book of Acts in particular. And I, I want to call your attention without taking the time to turn there. You, you know, the, the gospel started there in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came down. The church has its inauguration with the Holy Ghost coming down in Acts chapter 2. And then, and then they stay there in Jerusalem and Judea for so, quite, quite some time. And then God sends persecution. And God knows what it takes to get his people stirred. To get them to move. Don't forget that. But when, when, when the believers begin to spread out, Philip, 
Philip goes and he goes to Samaria. Not everybody went to Samaria, but Philip went to Samaria. But what Philip stretched forth in Samaria was the habitation that started back there in Jerusalem. And by the way, just in the course of, in the course of the expansion of God's program, it was so important for the Samaritans to see their habitation in connection with the Jerusalem habitation that they sent apostles down there to say, "No, this is one program." It's not an alternative thing. No, what's going on today in wherever on the map you want to choose, it's an extension. It's an extension of what you're doing. It's an extension of what we're doing. It's, what, it's the same tent all over the world. But we get a part in sending them to stretch forth the curtains of our habitation. These unnamed disciples go forth in the persecution and they go from Jerusalem to Antioch and there in Antioch Gentiles begin to be saved and the apostles hear of this and they send forth Barnabas. Not everybody went forth but they say Barnabas we want you to take this part of the tent and we want you to pull the curtain down there and make sure that it's properly in place. And so Barnabas goes down there in the Jerusalem church the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is stretching forth its habitation and Barnabas is the one that's pulling the curtain. And then in Acts chapter 13, the, the teachers and the prophets at Antioch, they're praying and they're fasting and they're ministering to the Lord. And the Holy Ghost says, Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have sent them. And not everybody could go out from Antioch, but two men went out. And it went, the gospel went to Antioch of Pisidia, and it went to Lystra, and it went to Iconium, and it went to Derby. But it was the same tent curtains. Antioch is stretching forth the church there in the regions of Galatia and then with Paul and Silas into Macedonia and Achaia and then later again into Asia Minor. It's the same, it's the same tent, it's the same curtains. When the expansion takes place, the habitation is shared by everyone that's come under that gospel tent and everyone that's come under the shadow of this glorious message has the opportunity to stretch their habitations into the regions beyond. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And, and let's get it from a New Testament text. In Philippians chapter 4, I think I can begin reading in verse 14. The Bible says, notwithstanding, and he explains to them how he's not trying to get something from himself, and it's actually very refreshing. It's totally unlike the, the modern prosperity Pentecostal preachers, honestly. So he says in verse 14, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, the communication is defined in the passage. It's something material. It's perhaps something monetary or financial. They're supporting the missionary. In the context, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. That's the communication, giving and receiving. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit. Look at it, look at it. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The Philippians were grateful to have received the gospel. 
And they were willing themselves to sacrifice to see that Paul's ministry was strengthened and supported so that the gospel could enlarge its place and Paul could take the curtains that had spread across these believers at Philippi and pull them further to Thessalonica and then into the region beyond in Achaia. And I'm telling you, that's what you get to do when you invest in world missions. And it's a joy to be a part of this. I'll be honest with you, and, and I, I, you know, we're not, we're not emphasizing the giving to the neglect of the going or the witnessing or all these things, but I know very few ways where you can take something that's carnal, filthy lucre, and by giving it away, you can turn it into something that's spiritual and eternal. It's really a marvel if you'll think about it. It's an incredible thing. There is treasure in heaven. And you've got an account according to this passage. This church has an account according to this passage. The church at Philippi had made a sacrifice to send Epaphroditus, you read about in chapter 2. He's like, he's like the missionary sent out of the, the church at Philippi. And he works himself nearly into an early grave in chapter 2. They had made a sacrifice to send a man to be a help to the Apostle Paul. And they had made a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God of some material, financial, monetary, perhaps gift to invest in the tent, the curtain being stretched forth into the regions beyond. And what Paul was doing in Thessalonica was an extension of what God had done at Philippi. And when you give and when you witness and when you go, what is accomplished through this church and the regions beyond goes to the account of this church and there is coming, coming a day of reckoning where the rewards are going to be doled out because God's keeping an account. The sacrifices that they made resulted in fruit abounding to these believers' account. The fruit that God bears through Paul is accounted at least in part to those which supported his missionary labors. Now, now let me give you quickly, and then, and then we'll begin to conclude here, at least three ways in which this was rewarding. First of all, just in verse 18, chapter 4 and verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's one of those in, inherent rewards. They could step back. They had, sent, they had dug deep. They had given sacrificially. They had sent it to the missionary. And the missionary says, God is pleased with what you've done. This sacrifice that you've made, the, 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 the smoke of this sacrifice is wafted into the third heaven and entered into the nostrils of God. And God is pleased with what you've done. And that in and of itself is a reward to we who have given. That it might be a pleasure to our God. But you know what else? Look at verse 19. I don't know what are you to do with this. We study the Word of God in the context. We don't try to make the Bible say something. We try to discover what the Bible's already said. 
And verse 19 says, in the context of sacrificial giving to missions, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. So there is a promise of what appears to me to be temporal provision in the context of sacrificial giving to missions. I didn't put it in there. And just because I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity charismatic, it doesn't mean I'm going to avoid preaching it. Because it's in the Bible. (laughs) You know, uh, about two years ago, I was invited, actually, in the in the on an, in an island nation to preach a uh, a missions conference, a foreign country for me, and I preached for a whole week on the Book of Ruth. I'd, I mean, I'd love to pick out some things, but I want to point out one thing that 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 the that the Lord showed me from that book, which which I'd never really much considered before. But the Book of Ruth is a book, a, a story about givers. It is. I mean, you start with Naomi, and she doesn't have much to give, but what give? But what she does have, namely a home and an identity, she gives to her daughter-in-law. And then Ruth's got even less to give than Naomi does, but she can still work when Naomi can. And she goes into those fields, and she labors, and she gets some barley, and she takes what she gets, and she shares with her mother-in-law. She's a giver. And then the main character of the book, Boaz, I mean, he starts off with a lot to give and he's giving up the corners of his fields and and he even gives his protection to this weak and vulnerable woman working in his fields and he invites her to come under the shade of his tent in the book and in the book he says, you come to my table and you dip your parched corn at my table and then the next thing you know, there are handfuls of purpose that are falling on the ground to benefit Ruth and then the next thing you know he's not taking just handfuls he's taking big big portions and such that he has to lay it on her that's a great that's a great phrase in the book of Ruth he laid it on her because she couldn't pick it up off the ground herself and in the end of the book he gives himself because our God and our Redeemer is a giver But here's what I wanted to point out to you. In the end of that book, everybody that gave ended up with more than what they gave. Because Boaz ended up with a wife. And Ruth ended up with a husband and a son. And Naomi ended up with a son-in-law and a grandson and an inheritance. Okay, now, now the health, wealth, and prosperity false gospel is a scourge upon the globe. And particularly upon the continent of Africa. You know that. I hope you know that. So I want, to be cl- I want to be clear. I'm not setting forth some kind of name it and claim it scheme. I'm not suggesting that if you give financially to the work of God, that God will somehow enrich you financially in turn. I'm not telling you that. But one of the things that should keep you motivated is that our great Savior is going to make every gift and every sacrifice worthwhile someday. There is a promise of reward. And that is one of the motivations that keeps us going in this work of missions. I tried to emphasize in verse 17 of Philippians chapter 4 this word account. Account. The same word is found in Romans chapter 14 and the context is obviously the judgment seat of Christ. 
The same word is found in Hebrews 13 verse 17 where a church leader is giving an account of God's people. And it looks to me to be something related to the judgment seat of Christ. So just to be clear here, not all of the accounts are settled in this life. But there is an accounting on the horizon. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is what this is about. There are those that are planting. Amen. There are those that are watering. Amen. There are those that are building. Amen. And there's coming a day where we are going to stand before the fiery eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody that built on that foundation, gold and silver and precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, it's going to be exposed to the fire. And the investment made, I mean, the investment made in what? What could we say? Rugby? I, I'm not trying. Oh, bless your heart. Uh, what, what's to say? There are things that are of eternal consequence. There are, God's given us all things richly to enjoy. But you don't, don't need to enjoy anything at the, at the cost of your future reward in heaven. That's all we're saying. And so in that day, every man's work is going to be made manifest of what sort it is. And somebody, according to the Bible, is going to receive a reward. And others are going to suffer loss. That's talking about believers. That's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Let me, let me conclude. When... When I, was a, when I was a young boy, I, I, I played athletics. They call it Little League and in America, baseball and soccer and basketball. And, and even, even in our culture at that time, long ago as that was, they had, they had already started doing something called participation trophies. Which means all you have to do, you don't have to be good you don't even have to be able to, I mean, you can play on the baseball team. You don't even have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be completely uncoordinated. You can never, you can never get a hit. You can never store, score a basket. You can never get a goal. You can never play. You can literally sit the entire season on the bench, do nothing to contribute, and yet, because you paid your fee, and you got your uniform, and you're assigned the team, at the end of the trophy, if you were in last place and you lost all 14 games, you get a trophy. Because after all, you participated. May I tell you something, church? No participation trophies at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. You don't get a reward for going to church. I hate to tell, I mean, that sounds like I'm ungrateful that you're here, but your pastor is expressed frequently. And I hope that you realize how much your pastor appreciates your faithfulness and your presence here. But you need to understand that the reason your church has a missions conference, it's not for the church, it's for you. It's not for the building, it's not for the pastor, it's for you. This is the huddle before the game. Now we're going to go out there and we're going to strive and we're going to run and we're going to fight and if you don't strive and if you don't run and if you don't fight and if you don't witness and if you don't go and if you don't give and if you don't sin, then you get to the judgment seat of Christ and you get nothing. 
But if you go and you give and you send and you witness, then you get to stand before the Lord and hear those glorious words, well done, thou good and faithful service. And in that moment, every sacrifice is going to be worth it all. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to tell the story. I'm not going to tell the whole story. Some of you have heard the story before. But in 1956, there was a very famous modern occurrence of martyrdom in the jungles of Ecuador. And five men, I believe they were Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Roger Uderian, and Ed McCauley. They landed in a bush plane in a remote part of the Amazon jungle and they went out to meet this gospel-darkened, primitive tribe of savages that knew not God. And in the short term, in 1956, they were all speared to death. And they paid with their lives. And there were a great many people, even at that time, that shook their heads and said, my, what a waste. What a waste. That's to look at it all wrong. That's to look at it all wrong. If you give your best to your great king, it is his prerogative to take your sacrifice and pour it on the ground in your presence. But this is what I wanted to tell you from that story. That was in 1956. In 1949, a young Jim Elliott wrote in his journal these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think one of the greatest tragedies of a Christian's life would be to get to the end of life and realize that you succeeded at something that didn't matter. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads, Pastor, if you'll come. Father, we commit this time of invitation to you, this, these thoughts that we've tried to express. I pray, God, that they'd sink deep into the hearts of your people. God, would you help us to do some eternal calculations this morning and that we wouldn't try to hold on today to something that we can't keep, but that we would trust your promise to reward us for every sacrifice that we make for you. In Jesus' name. And the pianist is going to play something softly for us. And we, we have a minute before we close with that special song. I believe the Lord would have us take a moment and reflect on this. So every head is bowed and eyes closed. This is as best we can do to give you a moment of privacy with the Lord.
I mentioned it last week. It's been touched on throughout this time, throughout the conference, in various ways. In that verse that we've been dealing with in Isaiah 54, spare not. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords. Strengthen thy stakes. Spare not. Can I give you the New Testament version of that? They that run in a race, run all. Know ye not that they which run in a race, run all, but one receiveth the prize. There's your reward. Paul says, so run that you may obtain. That's what preacher gave us this morning. There's a reward and it's worth giving your all. Run all. Spare not. Perhaps you need to take a moment this morning and just examine things as they are in your life and think about it in light of eternity. I want you to put yourself at the judgment seat of Christ for a few minutes. Brother Cadenhead has no idea. We just finished about a, what, a four or five week series on the judgment seat of Christ on our Thursday night service. Isn't that, isn't that something how the Lord brought that all together? There's an altar here if you want to take a minute with the Lord. Please do so. Brother Dobbins told us during the Bible study hour, talked about that vision. You know what the Lord said? Come near. Come near and then you'll renew that strength, renew that vision. But you have to come. That's why we have an altar. You you need to draw nigh. God, show, show me what else you want me to do. Well, come ask him. It's more convenient right here at my seat. Altar's a long way down there. There's a sacrifice. This is a small one to pay. What if somebody sees me go forward? What if the Holy Ghost sees you go forward? We'll take just another couple minutes. the Lord's spoken in my heart in every message each preacher let me say both preachers each each message church we're going away with our cup full filled to overflowing it's up to us now to go do something with it We still have one more session to go, and we're looking forward to what what we'll hear and see and experience and all of that tonight. But let's not look past what the Holy Spirit might be telling you today, right now, in this service. And I know some of you have been giving of yourself I mean sacrifice and it's been tough to squeeze in everything into the schedule to be a part of all the activities we got going on in our church and 
than the things you privately do for the Lord. And I know it's been tough and a stretch on your schedule and you're stretching things forth. And I hope you walk away encouraged this morning. All those sacrifices are worth it. You will not regret one of them. Not a one.